So if you have a Bible, take it and turn to Mark chapter 14. Um, I don't know if this is true for everyone else, but holidays seem to sneak up on you. Um, it's kind of, is it really Good Friday? Is Easter really this, this Sunday? And we kind of, um, no matter how much we, we try to prepare, uh, it usually feels like it just, boom, all of a sudden it's here. And so the purpose of a service like this is to sort of take a deep breath and pause and, and think, what, what's the purpose of this season that, um, that we remember as Christians? Um, and so my prayer in these brief moments together is that God would just allow us to take a moment to step back and to reflect on His Word, um, to take the Lord's Supper together and to remember um, what the meaning of Good Friday is, and especially as we look to Easter. Um, Easter is so much more glorious and joyous when we take the time to think about Good Friday. So I know the kids are in here with us, but I do want to just take a moment, even even now, let's just take a moment of silence. I know many of you have just come straight from work, um, or we've all just kind of arrived and we've settled down. Um, let's just take a moment of silence and prepare our hearts to, to hear God's Word. Um, and then I will, I'll close that out in prayer. But let's just take that, that moment now. Lord God, we thank you for, for seasons, for, for rhythms of life, and for holidays. But if it wasn't for things like this, we would just we'd forget so many things. And so help us to remember. Lord, even as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, we thank you that Lord, you, you know us so well. You've given us this tangible, physical thing that we can, we can take, we can, we can taste it, we can, we can touch it, and it, it reminds us, Lord, it involves all of our senses, and we can remember what you have done for us. And so as we look at your word, as we hear it, as we see it with our eyes, as we taste the bread and the, and the cup, um, and we think on these things, Lord, may you help us to remember you well and to lift you up. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper, let me just right at the beginning um, talk about what we as a church understand as far as those who are, are welcome to, to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus institutes this symbolic meal on the night that he's betrayed. Um, and... It's, it's the night that he's betrayed by Judas. It's the evening before, uh, the evening of this, this trial that he goes through. And then the next day he's crucified at, at 9 a.m. is when that, that begins. And he calls his disciples, he calls all his followers to, together and has them take this meal. And then he institutes it as something that we are, as his followers, to continue to do. Um, and it's a, it's a sacred meal. It's not a magical meal. Uh, the bread is simply bread, and the, the cup that you'll drink is, is grape juice. Uh, but they are symbols of something much, much deeper. And so we strive as a church to, to deal with that with the proper reverence. That's, that's really what we want to do. So this table, we, we open, we welcome all to this table who have put their faith in Jesus alone for salvation. That you are not trusting in any good work that you have done or amount of good works that you've done. You're not trusting in the faith of a family member or a friend. Um, you're not trusting in taking communion as a means of salvation, but that you are trusting in Christ alone and your faith in Him as, as your hope of eternal life and salvation and being made right with Him.
As a church, we also ask that you've been baptized as a believer. We see that as the first step of obedience for, for any Christian. Um, and, and that also signifies to us that you've taken the time to sit and talk with someone and share uh, this decision that you've made to follow Christ. And so we ask that if, if you are a Christian and you have been baptized as a believer, then you are, are welcome to take this meal. It is wide open to you and we invite you. Uh, if that's not true, if, if you say, I'm not sure if I'm a true follower of Christ yet, and, and I, or maybe you haven't been baptized, then I just ask that you let the plate pass. We're not trying to exclude anyone unnecessarily. We're not trying to be um, rude. I pray you understand our heart in, in guarding the meal. And so I just want to say that right from the beginning. Here in Mark 14, we find verses 22 through 25 is, is Mark's account of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. But beforehand, verses 12 through 21 sort of sets the stage. It says in verse 12, and on the first day of unleavened bread. So this is a, a feast within the Jewish calendar. Um, the Jewish people would celebrate this. In fact, this week is Passover. And so the Jewish people are celebrating this feast um, it was to, to be a reminder, to, to mark the time when the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and they cried out to God, and, and God heard their cry. And he, he sends a deliverer. He sends Moses. And Moses comes, and God, through Moses, brings ten plagues on Egypt. And, and the first nine don't do anything. Darkness, frogs, flies disease, all these terrible things, and Pharaoh's heart is continually hardened and he will do nothing about it until the last plague, the tenth plague, the greatest of them all. And that that final one is the death of the firstborn where the angel of death passes over Egypt and all the firstborn would die. Except God had made a way of salvation. And this is what that meal is rooted in. It's this way of salvation which was provided that if the children of Israel would, would take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and they would kill that lamb, take the blood of that lamb and put it on the, the doorposts of their house, then when the angel of death would pass over, he would see that blood. And he'd say that that lamb has died, and so the firstborn in that house does not have to. So God graciously provides this means of, of salvation. And after that happens, as this cry goes up in Egypt, as the firstborn are, are wiped out, Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, leave. He, he tells the, the children of Israel to get out. And so they leave in haste. And so the unleavened bread is that they did not have time to put the leaven in their bread and allow it to rise because they were leaving so quickly. And so every year, the rhythm of the Jewish calendar was that they would recognize this time. Just as every year we recognize Good Friday and Easter, this is what they would commemorate. This was the great Old Testament picture of salvation. And so what's amazing is Jesus is going to take this, this greatest picture of salvation in the Old Testament, and he's going to completely transform it and say that I am the fulfillment of these things. So it was in light of this that, um, that Jesus brought about the institution of the Lord's Supper. So let me just read, if you can look with me there in Mark 12. I'm sorry, Mark 14. I'm going to read verses 12 through 21. It says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. 
there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man of whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Well, I think what's interesting just to note here is in this that Jesus is in complete control of this whole situation. Uh, he sends the disciples ahead to find this room and, and he knows who they're going to meet. He knows where they're going to meet for the Passover. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He is totally aware that not only who is going to betray him, but not, not only that someone is going to betray him, but, but who it is. He knows. So if you know that someone's going to betray you and you know when it's going to happen and where it's going to happen, you could totally avoid this whole situation. If Jesus wanted to get out of this, he totally could. But he's in complete control. And so we're reminded that Jesus doesn't, isn't, isn't ripped um, and brought to the cross and drugged there, but he, he actually lays down his life. He willingly is in control of this, this whole situation. And it's amazing to think that as this is going on, it says there in verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. So all these Passover lambs are being sacrificed and Jesus himself is there preparing to become the, the final Passover lamb. It says then in verse 22, and as they were eating, so they're eating this meal together, verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Bread is significant. You can think about the Old Testament pictures of bread. If you think about what it is there in the Old Testament, we can think about the unleavened bread here in, in Passover. Um, leaven often represented sin, and, and the, there was no leaven in this bread. And, um, and so there's this, this picture of, of the bread. Um, we can think about, about the manna that, that came from heaven, the bread from heaven. As the Israelites, they wandered in the, in the desert for 40 years, and every morning that they woke up, there was bread on the ground provided for them. Can you believe that? Every morning, God provides them with bread. We can think about the bread of the presence that was there um, in the holy place of, of the tabernacle and later the temple. It was there every day, this, this fresh bread that was placed there. And so bread is symbolic throughout the, the Old Testament. And then Jesus enters into the picture, and especially in John chapter 6, he says, John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And then he says later in that same chapter, verses 48 through 51, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. He takes this picture. They, they ate this bread from heaven, and they are all dead, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's the same thing that he's saying here. This is my body. This is, I, am, I am this bread. 
Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies our the deepest longings of our soul, that, that meets the greatest need that we have of, of peace with, with God. And He does it, He doesn't do it by giving us physical bread to eat that leads to salvation. This, this bread is, is not going to lead to our salvation, but rather He says in, in John 6 and in Mark 14 here that, that He is the bread. That if we receive Him as bread, that He will satisfy our souls. He is the bread of life. And how does, how does He do that? How does He make it possible for us to, to have Him as the all-satisfying bread of life? I think it's interesting. It says here, after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to them. He broke it and gave it to them. So you can imagine Jesus taking this unleavened bread, this, this matzah, and, and breaking it and, it. and it being broken before them. You can almost hear the, the snap of the bread. And he distributes it to each of them. And he says, this is my body. The, the way we receive Jesus as the bread of life is that he gives us his, his broken body. It's a symbol of his death. It's a symbol of when it says he doesn't take the loaf and just, you know, everyone gets one full piece, but, but he breaks the bread. And he knows what that means. That this, this, this means that I will be broken. That I will, this, this is the symbol of his, of his murder on the cross. Mark describes this in, in Mark 15. If you just probably turn a page, maybe. In Mark 15, he talks about the joke of a trial that they had where they couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, but they decided that they wanted to kill him anyways because they hated him so much. And then Mark writes in, in Mark 15, beginning in verse 16, just to remember, let's, let's remember what Christ has done for us. It says in verse 16 of Mark 15, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So as we think about breaking this, this bread, that we remember that, that in so many ways that, that this is what we're symbolizing, is, is the physical breaking 
of Jesus' body. Remember what it cost Jesus to purchase our salvation. Because His death wasn't because of His sin, right? But when we looked at this trial, they, they could find absolutely nothing wrong with Him. But He dies because of your sin and because of, of my sin. That the ugliness of the cross reveals the ugliness of our sin and what it takes to pay for our sin. And Jesus comes and He willingly takes that penalty upon Himself. And so as we eat the bread tonight, I want us to remember that that, that, he had, that Jesus has given us His body to satisfy our deepest needs, to satisfy the greatest hunger pangs of our souls. We're going to pass the bread in a moment, and we're going to sing these words. It says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. That The physical brutality was terrible, but, but to hear these men mock Jesus... Is, is just as, as terrible. And it says, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Jesus has taken up the cup of God's wrath. He has drained every last drop of it by taking God's wrath upon Himself. He did not die for His own sin because He had none to speak of, but He willfully and lovingly took our sin upon Himself and died in our place so that He could be the bread of life that gives us life everlasting. I'm going to ask um, Trevor and Carolyn, would you help me with the bread? We're going to distribute the bread now. Um, We'll wait for everyone to be served. And as we do that, um, if those that are leading music, we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us and reflect on what Christ has done for us. Let's continue to look at Mark 14 in verse 23. Jesus, it says, Mark goes on, and he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of of God. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. As part of this Passover meal, um, some of you have participated in, in maybe a Passover Seder of, of sorts and seen some of these things, but there were traditionally four cups of wine that were taken at different parts of the meal. Um, many say that this was probably the, the third cup which was called the, the, the cup of redemption, or Paul calls it the, the cup of blessing in 1 Corinthians 10.16. A man named David Brickner writes this about the cup. He says, Jesus declared that this new covenant would be poured from the cup of salvation in His blood. The cup of redemption stood for more than the Hebrews escaped from Egypt. It's Egypt. It stood for the, the plan and purpose of God for all the ages. Judgment and salvation, wrath and redemption are brought together in the mystery of one cup explained by the Messiah in that upper room. Jesus was not speaking of the cup in a purely symbolic manner. He was describing events that would soon occur in his own life. Later that evening in the garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to the Lord in anguished prayer, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
in his humanity, Jesus could wish that this cup of judgment, the one that everyone except him deserved for breaking of God's covenant, would pass over him. Yet, as the obedient Son of God, Jesus knew that the cup of blessing could only be poured out for the salvation of many if he would first drink the cup of God's judgment on all humanity. Despite the agony of separation from the Father, our Lord was willing to drink this cup, to bear this judgment, to suffer this horror and death, that we might be free and forgiven. No wonder the Apostle Paul calls this the cup of blessing which we bless. What greater blessing can there be than that which Messiah purchased for us in His death, burial, and resurrection? So Jesus takes this cup and again He, he transforms it. And He calls it here, He says, this is the, the cup of the, the blood of the, the covenant, this, this promise. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that it's the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Those words, new covenant, take us back to, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So speaking of the Passover and all those pictures, it's not like that. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. These elements of the new covenant that Jesus gives us a, a new heart, causes us to, to know the Lord in the New Covenant. It means that the forgiveness of iniquity and the, the truth that, that God will remember our sins no more. He will forget our sins. And it's all made possible through... The New Covenant is inaugurated. It's, it's made possible by the blood of Jesus that's poured out. Let's pick up that description of the crucifixion that we left off in Mark 15. Mark 15, and we left off at verse 32. Let's go to verse 33. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Verse 38 
takes us to this idea of the new covenant. It talks about this curtain of the temple being torn in two from from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple was, you know, that that separated um, the people from the holy of holies from the from the presence of God. And in Jesus' death, in the pouring out of this blood of the new covenant, that that veil, that curtain that that kept people from the constant presence of God was ripped into from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. It says very specifically, it was ripped from top to bottom. It's as if God Himself took the top of the curtain and, and ripped it apart and opens up this, this new way, opens up the, the, the opportunity to be in the presence of God. And it's, it's all through this, what we see in the New Covenant, that there's this cleansing, there's this forgiveness that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. This is what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. There's another veil that's talked about here, the, another curtain. That the way that God has opened the curtain in the temple is through by opening, as it were, Jesus's flesh, that that is the way in, that it is through the death, through the blood of the covenant, that that he makes it possible for us to be with him and to have, as Hebrews says, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That the blood of the covenant inaugurates this covenant, but it, it cleanses us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. And then Jesus comes and he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And we are now children of promise. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we are forgiven of all our sins because of the blood of Jesus. This is why it's Good Friday. This is, this is why it's Great Friday. There's such a mixture of emotions that we feel when we come to the cross. And I often feel that as we take communion, that, that in the bread we remember this broken body of Jesus. We should think well on what Christ went through, on, on the physical suffering that He went through, on the emotional and the spiritual suffering, the, the anguish that He felt on the cross. But, but if we stop there, then Good Friday is, is not good. It's miserable Friday. But the reality is that what Jesus has done in that, in pain for our sin, is that He's inaugurated the, the new covenant. He's brought about this amazing thing now where we can be at fellowship, within fellowship with God, that, that we can be cleansed from our sin, that, that the new covenant, while not fully realized, is a reality in our lives, that the blood of the covenant has been, has been poured out through Jesus' death. So as we, we take the, the bread and the cup, we, we do it with, with soberness. We do it um, with just recognizing the weight of, of what it is. But we also have this, this joy in us that says, Jesus' death has brought me life. His blood has cleansed me from my sin. This is good Friday. And so as we, as we take the cup together, We'll pass the, the cup, and we're going to all we'll wait till everyone has it. We'll take this this cup together. Um, let's take it with joy that that the, that Jesus has come and He's inaugurated the new covenant. That the veil has been torn. 
that, that the blood of Christ has been shed in our hearts and cleansed us from our sins and He will remember them no more because Jesus has taken the full wrath of God. The, the cup of God's wrath is empty. There is no wrath left for you because Jesus has taken it all upon Himself. And so we'll pass the cup now. And as we do that, let's again sing together. We'll sing, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and reflect on on the wonder of what Christ has done for us. Before we sing a closing song, let me just point out one more thing very quickly. Jesus says in verse 25, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I think it's interesting to see that verse 25 says, Truly I say to you, I will... It doesn't say, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. Period. (laughs) It says, Truly again, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until... Until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So Jesus will take up a cup again when He returns. And... And we will celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ for for all eternity. But we will gather around a table in the new kingdom, which is the at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I assume that the marriage supper of the Lamb just kind of goes on forever to a certain extent. It's just this this meal that we have forever. We gather around this this table, and we who have become children of God through the the, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, we will know the fullness of the new covenant. We will know the fullness of the kingdom of God. But until that day, we will continue to do this. We will continue to take this cup, and we will continue to take this bread, and remember what Christ has done, and look forward to the day when He does return, and we gather with Him, and we serve Him as our, as our risen Savior.